Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, we've been hearing about it for our entire lives as coastal professionals. It's sea level rise, something that you... Uh, that is talked about in the press. It is talked about in every coastal conference we go to. It's a very complicated issue. It's hard to get a handle on it. And some and uh, recently, um, the National Ocean Service, a part of NOAA, has released an incredibly important new report on sea level rise that we're going to talk about today. One of the best parts of getting to do this podcast with you, Peter, is discovering how our understanding of the ocean, the planet that we live on, uh, how everything interconnects and how our, our understanding of the interconnections of the planet are becoming increasingly more uh, clear. And I confess that, yes, I've been I've heard about sea level rise for yeah. some time, but it was opake. It's op- and yeah. uh, this new update that recently came out shines so much light on this area area and it is becoming increasing increasingly more clear and i'm we're able to imagine what's happening in 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 really fascinating ways and and also a little scary uh but peter today we're going to be talking to an awesome guest about this new report update yes the report is the 2022 sea level rise technical report and if you're listening at home and have a chance to be on your computer as you listen to this show google it up 2022 sea level rise technical report there's an outstanding website uh, from the National Ocean Service that uh, we'll be focusing on today. Uh, that report came out just in the last couple of months. Uh, we have on the show today the lead author of that report, Dr. William Sweet. He is a senior oceanographer with the National Ocean Service, a division of NOAA, lead author on the 2017 technical report as well. And the fifth in the five year update, the 2022 report. So I'm just, you know, this is a chance for all of our listeners out there to take a deep breath. We're going to get smarter about sea level rise with Dr. William Sweet. And uh, this is an important show to pay attention to for landowners, city planners, county people, coastal professionals, all those coastal engineers, Tyler. This is all of us. This is the latest, greatest data. Yep. Absolutely, Peter. I'm really looking forward to nerding out here with Dr. William Sweet. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Hey, Dr. Sweet, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm serious in that intro. We're talking about, boy, we all hear about sea level rise. We see stories about it. We've got pictures of water in the streets of coastal towns around America. But it's really difficult to get a firm handle on what the hell is going on and how much do we have to worry about it. I think the technical report that you have produced in association uh, with many others uh, is an outstanding contribution to this topic. Uh, give us an overview of the report. Why is it important that we all know what's in this thing? Well, this report builds upon a series of reports that takes the latest and greatest science, uh, the models, the data, the observations, everything that goes into uh, the assessment of what is happening around the globe in terms of sea level rise, and specifically, what does that mean to the United States coastlines? And what we are able to report is that uh, you know sea level has been rising and it's expected to rise, and we have greater clarity and, and confidence as to how much rise to expect in the next 30 years. Whereas prior, we didn't quite have such an understanding and largely that's due to the inclusion and and usage of satellite observations and tide gauge measurements of sea level to give us sort of a a pointer, you know, where are we headed? And then beyond 2050, uh, the improved ice sheet modeling, uh, the 
big wild cards of you know, what might happen to the Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets uh, with continued high emissions, uh, a pathway uh, that could lead us to very high amounts of sea level. Well, we are continuing to refine the plausible range of future sea level rise uh, by 2100 and by 2150 under uh, you know, low confidence outcomes, you know, the, the kind of known unknowns that might uh, play out, as well as more conservative estimates if, if emissions are kept under check. You know, this is important for many types of decision-making. Uh, lastly, we were able to provide some uh, statistics based upon what are the storms and tides likely to do in response to it, uh, so that folks have a sense of contextualizing you know, what does an increase of mean sea level rise actually mean uh, to us on the ground in terms of getting our feet wet, flooding of roads? Uh, in short, we are uh, able to better graduate flood risk within FEMA's floodplain uh, so that we, we know it's not the same uniformly across. It's not a binary in or out and you're at the same risk. And so we were able to provide better um let's say, understanding as to what we think the impacts will be, at least out to 2050 under our, uh, the footprint that we currently have at the coast, our society's infrastructure, our, our roads, our stormwater systems, the things that we use to maintain our lifestyles at the coast, how are they likely to be at risk in 2050 and perhaps beyond if action's not taken? You know, the idea of sea level and sea level rise is something that is truly majorly like massive to think about. I mean, we're talking about a planetary scale, you know, when we think about the te where we are here in Austin, Texas, Peter, we know that with this was at one time submerged land. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a daunting task. But uh, William, how what what factors uh, drive sea level and sea level rise? Well, there are several factors. Uh, what is the ocean itself doing and what i mean by that is there's two main reasons why the level of the ocean itself would change uh, how much uh, melt is occurring from land-based ice so antarctica greenland alpine glaciers it's not so much ice that's already floating like the arctic ice that has some feedback mechanisms but that's already affected sea level how much melt and discharge is likely uh, to occur in the future. We know how much has occurred in the past and, you know, sea level has not been static. As you mentioned, you know, uh, 15,000 years ago, sea level was hundreds of feet lower than it was today. And it's been rising uh, and it's been increasing in the last couple thousand years. And all the telltales, uh, telltales point to a uh, higher rise with higher emissions. So what is that land-based ice going to do? The second part is, the actual temperature of the water once it's already in the ocean thermal expansion mm -hmm. uh, the majority almost 90 percent of the additional heat caused by uh, emissions is being absorbed by the ocean and as the ocean warms it expands uh, it has a limited amount of of overall rise compared to the ice and so right now it's about two parts ice melt one part thermal expansion hmm. well that just puts in perspective the ocean the other very important part is what is land itself doing and so along a lot of the East Coast and Gulf Coast, land is sinking for several reasons, natural and unnatural. Some natural reasons would be adjustment from this last ice age uh, tens of thousands of years ago. Some unnatural reasons would be extraction of groundwater or fossil fuels for consumption. Thermal expansion, ice sheets melting, subsidence, changes in ocean currents. I mean, what we're talking about here is a combination of very complicated combination of factors that have that are changing sea level rise on the American shoreline. Um, the implications of this is what I think is so, uh, so well done in this report. Uh, uh, Dr. Sweet, um, broadly speaking, it looked like from the report that y'all expect between now and 2050, which is roughly 25 years from now, that 10 to 12 inches of additional sea level rise will occur in the U.S. on average, about a foot. That, what struck me about the report, William, and I want to talk about the confidence you have in the results that you're projecting here, um, is this is a meaningful and substantial change in sea level rise and sea level rise risks. Uh, 
how confident are you in the projection and why are you confident in the projections if you are? Well, this upwards of a foot rise on average along the United States coastline, and that would really be about a 30-year projection. We started that in about 2020, okay. and we had the continuation of, uh, of the sea level measurements from tide gauges around the country. And when we break that down to regional levels, some places are higher than that one foot. Uh, the Gulf Coast, for instance, due to that land subsidence, less than a foot along some of the West Coast to the fact that land is more stable and or in certain areas uh, in the Northwest Pacific land might actually be rising up slightly. But the confidence is really comes from two places. Uh, one is we have a better understanding and longer records of what are the sources of variability in these records. And so we can extract some of these, uh, the highs and lows that, you know, are sort of causing these sea level highs and lows through, through time associated with things like El Nino or La Nina, these climatic modes around the, the world, North Atlantic Oscillation, the El Nino Southern Oscillation, in other words, knows it, known as ENSO. So when we remove that, we're left with more of a clean trend. And the uh, confidence of saying we're largely on this trajectory is, is sort of another line of, inf- uh, uh, of confidence uh, is this, basically all the model scenarios are all basically pointing to the same amount of rise regardless of the emission trajectory that we are on. It's almost as if the uh, momentum is baked into the system. The amount of heat that's here is driving a certain amount of rise. And so when we have the observations and the model scenarios at global, at national, and at regional scales, all aligning, uh, it gives us just greater confidence that what we have observed thus far and the characterization of that change extended into the future or aligning with the models, it gives us just greater confidence in general saying that we can now speak with the federal family saying we are expecting this amount of rise to occur. It could be less, not much. It could be higher, perhaps beyond 2050. That's the reason to continue to monitor this and track this and update this on a you know as needed basis so that we can plan and prepare accordingly. But all things considered, sea level is rising and it's likely to be in that one foot range on average in the next 30 years. William, uh, you're talking about this continuum of science going forward and just to kind of set the context now where we are today in this update report i'd like to look backwards uh and and where we be kind of began in our understanding so you know i i know that from from all of our other shows and other uh people that we talk to uh in the ocean and coastal space that we're kind of in a big data world where we're able to deploy sensors and collect information from around the American shoreline in ways that just, you know, even even 30 years ago were, would, would have been just so expensive and difficult that we couldn't do. And with all that new data comes opportunities to model what's happening more effectively. Could you talk about uh, the continuum of where we began uh, the initial uh, efforts to study sea level rise and and how, uh, as you said, the models, data, and observations have changed to bring us to the present, and then, as you mentioned just recently, uh, into the future with with future reports. Well, the the basis of our understanding of changing sea level on a operational scale really comes from the tide gauges that we operate around the country, and these have largely been in use for safe maritime navigation for shipping, high tide, low tide. There's other uh, usages of this data, but through time, these have been in existence for over 100 years in many places along the United States coastline and globally. The challenge has always been is to make sense globally of what's occurred from you know, places around the, the coastline that aren't necessarily uniform in the, how they're spaced around the, around the globe. But through time, um, we are able to better assess how these changes uh, have occurred uh, through this collection of gauges. And we have other lines of evidence. We have geological evidence that uh, is starting to be put into perspective, whether it's long-term records from ice cores and or more recent associated with marsh grasses and depositional rates over the last few thousand years that then uh, continue into the tide gauge measurements. 
And then more recently, the advent of satellites over the last 30 years or so that are able to look down and really make a sort of the gold star standard as to how sea levels have been changing across the globe as a whole and individually along certain shorelines. And the those three sets of, uh, through analysis and statistical understanding, the time series have sort of been put into calibration with each other, uh, independently uh, calibrated against each other, and they're aligning. And so we have a better sense of this continuum of how has sea level changed around the globe and over certain co uh, coastlines, uh, you know, over the last hundred years or so with greater resolution in the last several decades. The components that are feeding into this, where ice is melting from, how much the uh, ocean's expanding and why in the last several decades, that's really improved. We have these automated profilers that go around the, the ocean and go up and down and measure the temperature change and broadcast the signal, this, this data back through satellite. And we are able to see how the temperature of the ocean is changing. We look from satellites to see how the gravity of the earth is changing and how the thickness of ice sheets are changing, uh, how this is being redistributed around the globe. And so we call this the sea level budget. Uh, we are really able to monitor this from both uh, in situ with things that are actually in the ocean, uh, tide gauges that are along the coastline, as well as from space to have that 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 bird's eye view going around the planet. And when we put all these together, the sources of sea level rise, as well as sea level rise itself, uh, they all fit the, the puzzle pieces and they all are really starting to now show uh, the complete picture of how and where sea level's rising, uh, what that rise has been, and it gives us confidence in the modeling ability to show how these processes are changing and how they are likely to continue to change with future ocean and atmospheric warming that we have been able to monitor and make sense of as well. Perfect. Dr. Sweet, it is described the report as the distillation of our best understanding on sea level rise. This report is the product of the Federal Sea Level Rise Task Force. That's NOAA and NASA and EPA, USGS, FEMA, the Corps of Engineers, and other collaborators. This truly is the best understanding of sea level rise and the risk presented. And the other thing you guys are saying out in the public right now is that this report is actionable. You can take it to the bank. If you look at the sea level rise projections that are offered county by county for the entire U.S. coast and U.S. territories, you can, as a city planner in New York or in Miami or in Houston or in Galveston or big towns and small towns, look up and see what you're in for. It's an incredibly important tool that you guys have built here. Um, talk to us about what you hope uh, the folks who are going to be affected by sea level rise, the folks who have to figure out adaptation strategies, how they might use the report that you have produced. Let's talk about the application of what you've produced. Well, the the hope is, right, is that it makes sense to folks and that they start the planning process if they haven't already. Uh, where sea level rise has been occurring and the impacts have be, uh, been most evident areas of the East Coast, for instance, Charleston, Miami, Norfolk, areas of Boston and New York, Gulf Coast. I mean, you name it. It's the the impacts are there. We've called it different things: nuisance flooding, king tide flooding, high tide flooding. It's this increased frequency of of minor flood events under oftentimes sunny days. People are aware of the problem, and so right, what to do about it? So the the goal is is to provide consistent, authoritative sets of information about what is likely to occur in the next thirty years and then what could happen beyond then uh, in a systematic manner around the United States coastline. So whether you're in New York City or you're in a rural coast of the Gulf with, without much development, but your land is sinking for certain regions, for reasons, or you're in Alaska, you have the information that has been customized to that location as best possible. So you have a, an idea of what to expect. That idea then needs to be translated into action. And so the second part is, well, what are your storms and tides? What is that variability piece that impacts you? And, and how high does, does that typically get? 
when you factor that into today's sea level or future sea level of a foot, let's say, in the next 30 years? You know, can we map that? Could we then use the, the maps that our agencies are putting out to actually look at what's exposed now and what's likely to be exposed uh, in 30 years from now, whether it's the thing that happens once every few years or the kind of thing that's happening once every several years for a garden variety of reasons, the prevailing winds, the full moon tides, or is it the hurricane type of event that hits four or five, six feet above average high tide? There are uh, a range of factors that vary regionally around the country. Tide ranges change, storm ex uh, expressions change, sea level rise is not projected to change uniformly. And so when we factor that into these regional local levels, uh, we are giving folks the estimates of what mean sea level is likely to do and what does that mean in terms of the types of events that impact that area in terms of storms and tides, and then the maps for them to overlay this information and get a sense of what's in harm's way, uh, what, you know, the schools, the infrastructure, the fire stations, the things that are important to us, uh, you know, how can they holistically go about defending uh, and maintaining their way of life at the coast in the best way that makes sense to them. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, before the show, Tyler and I have been on the website for the Sea Level Rise Technical Report. Again, if you Google up NOAA Sea Level Rise Technical Report, you'll get to the website. The URL is a little bit long, so I won't do it. But what we've been doing is pulling up the County Snapshots tab which allows you to put in the name of any county on the American shoreline or in the U.S. territories, Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And it will give you specific data about what you can expect to occur in your area. It'll tell you the amount of population that is risk, how much of your infrastructure is at risk, at what point along the projection of sea level rise. And it gives you this really great sea level rise projection graph that I got to tell you, Dr. Sweet, I absolutely love this graph. It's incredibly informative. It looks simple, but it's very deeply informative. That allows you to look at the projections of NOAA in 2017's projections and 2022. And what's apparent, uh, Dr. Sweet, is that the projections are much, much tighter than they were five years ago. If you want to look at what's going to happen in your county within the next 25 years, you can find out in this tool. It's a super good uh, analysis and a really useful way to understand it. Um, tell us about this county snapshots tab and why you guys built this tool. It's one thing to talk numbers and talk tide gauges and give you know national averages, but decision making really is made at the local level. And it's these types of tools that the county snapshot that can really sum up at a actionable level. A county commissioner, a planner can really look to see what does this really mean to my location. This is where I live. I need to get you know this stuff bundled so I can make sense of it and. As you mentioned, it does just that. You know, how much is expected under the certain scenarios? What do those scenarios mean? How have these scenarios evolved since the last report we came out? Uh, and for the most part, the scenarios haven't changed much, but the spatial and temporal evolution of those have changed some. And this is largely in response to understanding the contributions of Antarctica and Greenland, how they're losing mass, how they're likely to continue to lose mass, the ratio between the two of them, because where ice melts matters. And so if you're a planner on the East Coast of the United States, having more contributions from Greenland is less consequential than having greater than the same amount of contribution from Antarctica because of the spatial distance and the way gravity is changing due to the changing ice. I don't expect the county commissioners to really understand the way gravity is changing, but what they do want to have is what does this mean for my location? If you tell me that Greenland is, is going to contribute more than we thought it was, what does this actually mean to me on, a, on the ground in, in my county? And so we want to make it easy uh, for folks to be able to get this data and to contextualize what it means to the things that are important to them, the roadways, their infrastructure, the, the schools, the businesses, the, the things that, that are important locally so that they can quickly uh, get a, a very quick understanding as to what does this report mean in my area that 
I am in charge of or I'm in concerned about. I, I think you did it. I really think you guys did this. It makes and and I and you know I'm I'm saying this as a person who's who's followed along on climate change and followed along on sea level rise and always had a, a little bit of a challenge on really getting a, a a good firm feeling for what the implications are. You guys have done this in a way that I can follow and use, and I think a lot of people out there in the coastal engineering community, local planners, can get to this website take a breath and get smarter because this is really a really good tool well i'm just i just wanted to say that peter when we first started working with each other i remember uh going to a community meeting i think it might have been in south padre island and someone from the community asked a question about sea level rise and i mean with data in hand i mean we had a coastal engineer there Mm -hmm. who said that the forecast of you know sea level rise was something like a centimeter or two i mean it was it was extremely de minimis and kind of pushed aside. And one of the fascinating things that I think we're seeing here is that this data can get plugged into these other planning processes that can can be accounted for by your local leaders. And that is where the adaptation is going to start. Yeah, I think that's what you guys pulled off successfully. I do remember uh, being at ASBPA meetings five years ago and talking to coastal engineers about to what extent are you incorporating sea level dry, uh, sea level rise projections into your designs for the projects that you're doing, whether it's shoreline restoration, beaches, any number of coastal structures? And they said, you know, it's a little speculative. We can't quite fit that in yet. We're not really fully evaluating. We know it's there. We do acknowledge it in our design studies, but we really don't design for it. And it sounds like, Dr. Sweet, it is game time now. This is really happening. It is definitively understandable. Of course, that accuracy will improve over time. But we know enough now that it's time to get serious about responding to the information. And I really think you guys did a damn good job of putting this together in a way that people can respond to it in the real world. Um, Not an academic study. This is actionable information. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you guys conceived the uh, report and the products of the report to hit this target. How how did you come about this approach? Because I think it really there are out. a lot of products associated. Oh with my this god, report. we've mentioned one. It's um, not just a report. No, it's not a report. It's a it's an actual decision making tool. It's super good. Um, how did you guys build this product? For starters. <laughs> When you're in this business and you you're in the business of providing scenarios and the what ifs and bounding plausible futures, the the first thing you get from folks are okay. Well, which one should I choose? <laughs> I've got to build towards a certain scenario, a certain rise amount, and and I need more guidance than you know. Here's four or five potential options, and so the 2050 really sort of crystallized in our minds of once we really got a hold of, of the last assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change and, and really understood what this was saying relative to the observations. We knew that we needed to speak with, with one voice about 2050. So that's important for many plan, uh, planning horizons. And then thinking about the types of planning that are already going on that are sort of the, if you will, the, the first the cards to fall with sea level rise, the stormwater systems, the the things that are really meant to keep water from invading our community. So one of the tools we made was the stormwater management tool that uh, accompanies or is, is similar in, in certain facets to the county snapshot. But in this case, it's really designed for folks to say, okay, I've got a height threshold that is important to me. That's two feet or maybe three feet above average high tide. You call it, you name it, and we'll give you some answers to it. And under these scenarios, maybe the more likely one to 2050. So the kind of thing that happens maybe once every 10 years and by 2050, maybe that's happening once every, uh, every year, perhaps five times or 10 times a year. It's this idea of, of, of matching tolerances and functionalities to uh, the data. And so we recognize one one threshold doesn't fit all, but we need to make sure that folks have the ability to assess impacts the way that they see it, whether it's a citywide assessment or if it's 
somebody's dock or bulkhead or, or, you know, new house design, you know, how high do I need to build this to stay out of <laughs> the wet zones, if you will. And so we really worked with our other agencies, the Army Corps of Engineers, the EPA, uh, the Department of Transportation weren't involved directly in the study, but through our contacts, uh, local levels for saying, this is the kind of information we need. And can you think about this when you develop this next report? And so, you know, having the science consumers together at the table with the science producers or those that are there to distill it really is important so that we really make sure we're understanding the kinds of questions that folks are asking and that we can best possible deliver upon those asks. And I think that was really in the forefront of all of our conversations and the development of the downstream products that are either there now or that will continue to develop really need to be in response to the types of questions that whether it's a coastal planner or, or hydraulic engineer are asking, we want to provide this at every location, if possible, at least at a screening planning type uh, set of information. It may not be the, you know, the final engineering design, but it's at least going to allow a first cut as to what it, what's at risk now and, and how might that risk change in the future. You know, I just got to ask, uh, obviously, we're talking about the whole planet here. Uh, and it's just so cool to think about the, the all of the waters on this planet kind of sloshing around and interfacing and how it's all interconnected uh, with the atmosphere and the currents and the freaking gravity of the planet i mean give me a break it's very cool to talk about and yeah, think that's about a, that is an interesting but, aspect of uh it. dr sweet i've got to ask uh, maybe on the american shoreline or i would even broaden it uh to the world is there a particular region of the world that you are uh, that you find to be you know especially interesting with regard to sea level rise and 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 studying it and watching it happen i mean the united states coastline is is very interesting to begin with. As you mentioned, the water sloshing around on the on the east coast, we've got the Gulf Stream, this major ocean current that has has to have a tilt to it to flow northward. And all the models suggest a continuing warming, uh, potentially freshening ocean, at least where up towards the Arctic, a potential slowdown could cause additional rise along the east coast. And we see this occurring under, you know, episodically now the Gulf Stream will slow down and we get higher sea levels along much of the eastern seaboard. You know, that's really fascinating. And it's somewhere where I live where, you know, that's it's a, a source of rise that is right there. Uh, and we measure and monitor it. And we oftentimes recreate around it or in it and fish it, sail across its waters. But it has the potential to change sea levels tens of centimeters, so upwards of a half a foot in, in episodically or through time. The Gulf Coast is another area with the natural compaction and subsidence of land around the Mississippi area or the northern Gulf area, as well as extraction of, of oil and fossil fuels for, for you know, the reasons we need it, you know, to, to power our country as it is right now uh, with this additional sources of rise. We look at the West Coast and we have El Nino, La Nina bring amount of decade or two worth of sea level rise within a year. And so it's this great fluctuation of sea level that can occur, whereas normally the rise has been more muted. To Alaska, where you have these giant ice sheets that historically have been there that have been retreating, uh, and you have land rebounding at very fast rates where the ocean is just, it's hard to get the dock right because the water's drying up underneath these docks and, and areas. And so it's just a it's a remarkable uh, spatially how the sea level is reacting and how it's expected to continue to change with these processes in mind. So look no further than the United States coastline to find uh, areas that for different reasons are truly remarkable and truly different on a year to year basis, on a decadal basis from one coastline to the other. And so it's, it's something that we really are interested in continuing to monitor and making sure that these communities along these coastlines have the most up-to-date information because you know you look to the other ocean basin community and they may be your sister and brother and sister communities in many ways but the sea level surely is acting very differently and so wow. uh, it's uh it's, it's truly fascinating as as you remarked earlier yeah, I think, Tyler, this is one of the great things about doing Coastal News today and doing the, the, the American Trolling Podcast Network is our sort of attempt to try to delve into this space and provide 
a higher level of dialogue, maybe talk to people like you, is driven by this just absolute understanding of how dynamic this particular uh, part of the continent is. We are we ask so much of these shorelines. We want them to give us oysters and food and recreation, and we want it to provide property valuations and transportation networks, all of this at this incredibly dynamic edge of the continent. And it makes it such a fascinating uh, discussion, uh, Dr. Sweet, just the just trying to sort out and project what the hell we're in for, Tyler. That's why I love talking to these smart guys like this who walk us through this. To- so totally. Cool. And so I mean, the, the, the whole uh, obviously uh, we're focused today on sea level rise. But what I think is becoming increasingly clear is this interconnectivity piece. Uh, as Dr. Sweets mentioned, you know, we recreate, we fish, we are economically tied to these places. Yeah. There are, are, it's the environment in which we live in and, yeah. and but prosper off of. And as we begin to understand the planet more, and, and it's so interesting that this is occurring, that our understanding is occurring yeah, we're in our time up. of need. We're catching up. Well, we, we, we have, this is our evolution, man, as a species, I, I, th- I feel. <laughs> it is our I love ability. you got grand on it. It's true. It's a big deal. I it mean, is. I, I really deal. think we're, 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 you know, we can view the planet through a, a single lens, you know, out, out the window of a spaceship. <laughs> it changes the way that you think about, oh, yeah. yeah, that entire ocean system is a system that is interfacing with the broader yeah. thing yeah if if a current uh like yeah. the gulf stream slows down that's gonna ch- that's gonna cr- change I, your life okay i have a question though i've got to ask yeah. dr sweet about the gravity thing so <laughs> what is it about what is it about uh the i guess the melting ice sheets mm-hmm. that is changing the gravity of planet earth you know gravity is one of those remarkable things that just is you know we can think about it all we want but it's it's there it keeps satellites in orbit it keeps us grounded to the to the ground i've kids you know and they they ask questions about walking on the moon and they into that poli- old police song of just what would it, how is it different dad and and you know, just and i racks my brain sometimes of the way gravity works but in essence if there's more mass there's more gravity and it doesn't really ebb and flow that much it just is so as we lose mass from Antarctica and Greenland, and you got to remember these these ice sheets in Antarctica are they're two miles thick. I, I, I was lucky to go to Antarctica one time, and there, McMurdo at one of the United States bases, there was a triumphant-looking person that had conquered what looked to be a mole hole, just a uh, excuse me, just a small mountain, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet, uh, but that was poking through the two mile thick ice sheet in the transantarctic mountain range. And, and it was just truly mind boggling how much ice is actually there. And it exerts a tremendous force. And that force is, is uniformly there until it changes. And what I mean by that is it continuously loses mass uh, slowly, but through time, uh, there's just less gravitational tug that's keeping uh, the ocean water pulled towards it. The ocean's not flat. We figured that out, luckily, several hundred years ago. The brave men and women who decided to sail across the world recognized the ocean uh, was not flat, and it was actually circular. But in this case, it is not flat. And as the ice, we lose mass, that gravitational tug decreases close to that source of, of mass, and the water goes elsewhere. And so it's the far field effects uh, that will have more rise. So what I mean by that is the additional amount of rise expected somewhere like a Hawaii, because it's far away from that source uh, of ice, uh, is the way it plays out. And so if you have maybe a half meter of rise from Antarctica over the course of, I don't know, maybe a, a century or longer, you might have uh, 75 centimeters of rise in, in Hawaii. So you have that additional amplifying effect that it is just due to the gravitational distribution of uh, as it is now and as it may be in the future. So in short, where ice melts matters. I love that. You know, uh, 
this is the thing I wanted to say to the taxpayers out there, all the listeners out there. We're Americans. We put money into the federal government all the time. This is some of the best work we get for our tax money. The, the scientists at NOAA, I am just a huge fan. I say this all the time. I'm a huge fan of the quality of the people that work at this agency. And on the Federal uh, Sea Level Rise Task Force, if you just spend some time looking at who the authors of this report are across the federal government, not just at NOAA, this is our best and brightest group of people trying to tackle an issue of major concern. And I just want to encourage folks out there uh, that are listening to the show to get on this damn website, set aside an evening and dive into this. And you're going to find it is accessible. This is technical stuff. There's no doubt. It's not easy. But this is as good a presentation as I've seen. And I also want to call attention, Dr. Sweet, to one of the the tools that I've loved working with just uh, in preparation for this show is this Coastal Flood Exposure Mapper, um, which really is allows you as a homeowner to zoom in on your coastal community down to the street level. You want to find your house? You want to see what zone you're in? You want to see how sea level rise is likely to affect where you live? You can do it with the Coastal Flood Exposure Mapper. And this isn't some sort of fanciful projection. This is seriously grounded projections uh, in this report. So, you know, I'm trying to give a big plug for this, but what would you like people to understand about the Coastal Flood Exposure Mapper? Well, the, the mapper is, is, a, is a great tool, as, as you mentioned. And I, I use it myself oftentimes just to get a sense of the exposure where I live. I live in, in Annapolis, Maryland, and luckily I'm fairly high up from the water, 50, 60 feet. But that's not necessarily the case completely around this area or the bay, uh, for that matter. But whether it's the, the FEMA flood zone or if it's hurricane one, two, three, four, five in strength, what we're calling high tide flooding, which is just a zone now that it's a bit more prone to sea level rise related uh, increased frequency of flooding. It puts into perspective the the kind of motion that happens under you know, days to, to minutes to hours in response to other things than sea level rise per se, you know, the slower gradual stuff that that piles up over the course of years and decades that that we're primarily discussing today. Let us not forget the things that actually cause impact, right? So I'm lucky enough I can walk down to to the bay and sort of see the water, but I'm pretty hard pressed to figure out where mean sea level is because the water is always moving around. It's going up and down to the tides and it's blowing around. But if we just strictly talk about sea level rise, we kind of forget the fact that that's usually not what's impacting. It's the reason the water is moving around from the winds and the tides. And so whether it's a uh, category five hurricane where it's just a, another type of storm, the flood mapper has really sort of got what is impacting or uh, you know, inf- influencing decision makers due to uh, policy or what have you. So you can use the same maps that, that NOAA makes with the best elevation, the best LIDAR. Uh, you can either overlay sea level rise or you can actually just to see what the exposure is to these types of storms, big or small, and, and you know, are you in harm's way or are you not? And so it really is the, uh, the partner to the changes in mean sea level as well. What are the storms and tides currently doing? Because it's the combination of the two as we uh, talk about the future that's really impacting. So what's the exposure now? How's that likely to change in the future? And so yeah. it's these tools, when you put them together, really help address, you know, the types of decisions that folks are making in the face of sea level rise. As uh, as folks take a, a closer look at the 2022 uh, technical report on sea level rise uh, and dive into the tools available, um, is there a way for them to get help, a technical support from NOAA staff or other staff uh, about how to understand and utilize the information you have produced? Is there... Is there a customer service department for the technical report? 
<laughs> Don't be giving out my email. <laughs> no, you know, um, I, I am going to give your email to one. Yeah, well, I Mark, am going to do, if you me. don't mind, I do, I do want to put you in touch with one person who called about this issue. And he said, who do you know? And I said, I, now I know. The Absolutely. So, go ahead. Well, we have a, a group at the Ocean Service called uh, the Office of Coast Management. Terrific. And they uh, provide um, c- capacity building, training. They work with uh, all sorts of stakeholders, hold workshops around the country uh, to really provide the tools and the training of the existing tools to help folks understand the problem. Or let's let's put it another way. They don't need to understand the problem. They need to understand uh, how to address the problems that they're facing, at least with the types of tools that NOAA and some partner agencies put out. This group is the group to go to. Uh, boots on the ground, uh, whether you are in Florida or California, they have regional groups and they have uh, a collection of online and in-person workshops and training to really get folks the information they need so that they can make sense of it and answer their own questions using the best science and data that that our organization and others put out. It, for, for, for the record, the Office for Coastal Management, check them out online. That's how you access it. I completely agree. They're abs- absolutely outstanding. And uh, the, the, here's the thing, folks. Knowledge is power. Get educated on this. Uh, this is the way that we are going to turn the corner is by learning more about this issue specifically. But as I've been saying the show, it's about our planet. We're learning about the world on, in which we live. And frankly, I'm, I find it fascinating, uh, if not very clear that we're going to have to make some adaptive measures. But, you know, uh, what can I say? We live in interesting times, whether we like it or not. Uh, Dr. Sweet, I, I want to look to the future a little bit. Uh, what, you know, you're, you're forecasting out, uh, at least on, on the report here, 2100 is a big date, um, but uh, this is an iterative process. I know that every year things are getting better. We looked at the 2017 data to 2022, big differences. As you look to the, to the future of sea level rise science, uh, where do you see things becoming more clear? What are you looking for as far as uh, you, you, you mentioned the known unknowns, things that might come into clarity uh, in the coming years? The, the known unknowns, it's the ice sheet modeling, I would say, for how much is sea level rise likely, uh, how much is sea level likely to rise, let's say, by 2100 and beyond. And the the modeling has, has definitely improved. Um, there are still some uncertainties. And what I mean by that is we know through the geological record in the past, there have been abrupt and very rapid increases of sea level. Uh, when we look back 100,000 years and 3 million years ago, we see conditions that are not too much different than they are today, but we know sea levels were a good bit higher on the order of meters to perhaps over 10 meters or so higher. Uh, we know we the trajectory, sort of the, the inertia in the system is, is pointing to higher sea levels over the next 100, perhaps next 1,000, several thousand years, uh, could be a fair amount higher uh, under continued emissions and or the the amount of heating that's already locked into the system. How quickly that rise may occur is the unknown. And so working with our federal partners, NASA in particular, who's done a great job at at funding a lot of really great research uh, to investigate this problem, we are going to continue to work with our partners to monitor the ice sheets, to uh, really try to understand how they may uh, rapidly disintegrate if it that's at all possible under various emission pathways and heating pathways that we collectively have the control to determine, though individually it's sort of outside our ability to, uh, to change, let's say. But we need to understand in a five degree C or four degree C world above pre-industrial, what might happen and how might it happen? And so it's that's the wild card. When we take it, though, to impacts. I think it's important for us to understand the way that even sea level rise in the next 30 or 50 years may play out. Where is water currently impacting? How is it likely to impact with, let's say, a foot of sea level rise? What infrastructure is going to be in harm's way? 
How is water going to continue to uh, bubble up through stormwater systems or, or cause wastewater systems to slowly fail? Where and when and how? You know, so there's that yeah. component as well that is oftentimes outside our collective ability to monitor. We can't always monitor these from space. We may need help from you know, smaller devices from citizen science. Where is the water at higher stages of, of, of sea level uh, under storms or tides that become more impacting in the future? And so there's sort of the two part, how high might sea levels get in the coming hundred years and beyond? Uh, how do we know that and how can we uh, narrow the plausibility range? But until then, how are the impacts going to play out? Where and when? What's it at risk first? And how do we monitor, measure that, and communicate that so folks can plan and prepare? Way to go. That's a great summary and exactly what I think uh, you guys took a incredibly important step forward in, in providing to the public and decision makers all around the U.S. Uh, this is a great bit of work. Congratulations, uh, Dr. Sweet, to you and the entire group of authors who pulled together this report and made this available. It's outstanding. And uh, you got to be proud of it. I know there's tons of work to do, and it's going to continue to get more precise over time. But uh, a hell of an accomplishment and great, great job. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure working with this group that I worked with. And uh, it's it's been a heck of a career thus far working with NOAA, uh, being able to work with with our other federal agencies to really, you know, call to the attention that this problem that is uh, really now just surfacing and really showing its face of, of high tide flooding, of sea level rise related flooding. And it's something that's not going away. And I've still got, you know, several, well, a decade plus of, of my career left. And I, I tell you what, uh, there's a lot of motivated federal scientists that are that are keeping their that are keeping their uh, attention on this problem and we look forward to advancing our understanding for the for the sake of the american public ladies and gentlemen it is dr william sweet he is the senior oceanographer for the national ocean service at NOAA, uh, and the lead author of the 2022 sea level rise technical report look it up online get smart start listening to these guys they've got it sorted out it's time. It's game time, Tyler, on the American Shoreline. It's time to get serious. Uh, great work, Dr. Sweet. Thank you for uh, sharing your uh, insights and introducing us to this great report on the American Shoreline podcast. Thank you.